You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chad Ford, and my guest today is John Hollinger, senior writer for The Athletic and co-host of Hollinger and Duncan on the Locked On Network. John and I have been redrafting famous drafts for the last couple of weeks. We've done 2014 and 2016. This year, we're going back to the 2013 NBA draft. We're going to do this in the form of a mock draft. Each of us will rotate making picks based on hindsight, what should have happened on draft night. And it's interesting to pick 2013 because at the time of the draft and really all that year, everyone was talking about how terrible a draft this was. There was no consensus number one pick. I believe at the time the, the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, who had the number one pick in the draft were considering up to six six players uh, in the draft uh, that that year guys that they worked out with uh, guys that they worked out and were deeply considering here's how the draft went on draft night the Cavs selected first they took Anthony Bennett out of UNLV complete shock we'll always remember Bill Simmons reaction on TV to this at the time no one knew this was coming it was a it was a very very big surprise we knew he was in the mix but he was a very much a dark horse to be the number one pick in the draft. The second pick in the draft went to the Orlando Magic. Uh, they took Victor Oladipo. The third pick went to the Washington Wizards. They took Otto Porter. The Charlotte Hornets had the fourth pick in the draft, and they took Cody Zeller out of Indiana. The fifth pick went to the Phoenix Suns, who took Alex Len out of Maryland. The sixth pick went to the New Orleans Hornets, who took Nerlens Noel out of Kentucky. The Kings selected seventh and took Ben McLemore out of Kansas. The Pistons selected eighth, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, out of Georgia, Minnesota traded their pick to the Utah Jazz, who traded up to pick number nine to select Trey Burke out of Michigan. The 10th pick went to the Portland Trailblazers, who took C.J. McCollum. The 11th pick went to the Philadelphia 76ers. This guy actually ended up being Rookie of the Year that year, Michael Carter-Williams. 12th pick went to the Oklahoma City Thunder, Stephen Adams out of Pitt. The 13th pick traded to the Boston Celtics, Kelly Olenek out of Gonzaga, and the 14th pick in the draft. This is where Minnesota selected in that trade with Utah. Shabazz Muhammad out of UCLA, a guy that started the season ranked as one of the one or two top players, prospects in in the draft. This was a wild draft, John. Yeah, it was, especially, I mean, this is is my first year in the league, and so this was my first draft on the team side, and that first pick, I don't think I, in my seven years of the Grizzlies was ever more shocked by a pick than that first one. The the analysis, which I think, you know, as I was trying to put the redraft together might have been actually true. This was not a very good draft. It wasn't a very deep draft. There was a lot of concerns about really all the players in the draft early on. Nerland's Noel was a favorite to be the number one pick in the draft, but he had a catastrophic injury just very early into his college career, which meant that you know, teams were very, very nervous about him and whether he was going to be able to play. Uh, he ended up not playing mm-hmm. uh, for his his rookie year. There was guys like Shabazz Muhammad, who from a high school basketball standpoint was an elite blue chip prospect, but it became clear kind of early on in his career at UCLA that maybe a lot of those things that allowed him to be such a great prospect in high school weren't going to translate into the NBA Teams were all over the place about who should be the number one pick in the draft. 
And yeah. and as it turns out, the best player in this draft was a guy that was playing second division, third division basketball in, in Greece, who wasn't really even on an NBA radar screen until January. John, you have the first pick in the draft. I don't think there's going to be any surprise of who it's going to be. Who do you select number one? Well, obviously it's Giannis. And I mean, this is a great pick by Milwaukee at number 15. Um, the thing with Giannis in his draft year, so I actually saw him play for Greece's U18 team that year, shortly before the draft. You could tell he had a feel for the game. He wasn't just a random guy with long arms that he, that even though he didn't have experience, he did kind of know how to play. So that was interesting. Um, the skill level wasn't super high. The other thing, I mean, he was four inches shorter than he is now. I don't, I don't think that, I mean, that's the one thing that nobody could have predicted. Just he, not just that he was going to fill out physically, which I think people could imagine, but that he was going to keep growing so much. And I think that's obviously been a huge factor in him becoming the level of player that he's become. I think even if he had stayed six, seven, he would have been one of the best picks in this draft probably. Uh, but I think that was the, the ice cream on the Sunday or however you want to put it. It was really interesting trying to scout him and, and for NBA teams to scout him because again, the competition level that he was playing against was poor. He clearly had a physical advantage over the players that he was playing against. He really wasn't a shooter, couldn't shoot the basketball. He had really amazing feel for the game, ball handling abilities, things like that. But again, you know, this is 2013, not every team comfortable saying, hey, we're going to bring this kid over and, and make him a point guard and allow him just to initiate the offense. You know, what position he played there, there was just so many question marks about Giannis. I don't think I talked to an NBA team or scout that didn't like him. I think everybody liked him. I thought every everybody saw the potential there. But I also don't think I talked to an NBA scout that wasn't concerned or really that this was a wild card draft pick, like could be super high ceiling, could be great, also could be a bust. And whoever was taking him, was was rolling the dice was that sort of the take with the grizzlies as well that that was definitely the take and i think in retrospect you have to ask well what did you have to lose in this draft <laughs> right like well that, how, much, how much of a risk are we talking about like oh no i'm gonna i'm gonna miss out on the next trey burke if i if i take Giannis here so. that 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 is a great point and one of the really interesting things is is post-draft, obviously talking to all these teams and, and scouts, they almost all have a story of how they almost selected, right? They almost selected Giannis, but then at the last second, it was yeah. an owner. Yeah. It's always yeah. the owners uh, of why, or, you know, our team, you know, just really wasn't u- utilizing the D-League at that. I mean, I'm going to now quote my famous tweet that has been tweeted back to me thousands of times. Uh, this is what I tweeted on draft night. Ata Takumpo is one to two years away from playing minutes on an NBA team. That's a very expensive D-League player. Clearly, I was, I, was, I was wrong about it. In my defense, that tweet was verbatim what the Bucks told me after they drafted him. He was one to two years away of playing on an NBA team and the original plan of the Bucks was that he was going to go down to the D league before other things happened over the summer. They turned out 
to really shift that team over the summer. They lost some free agents and what have you. And then they decided, okay, we're just going to, now we're going to be in more of a rebuilding mode and we're going to expedite this by bringing Giannis in and, and, and playing him more. I think it's fair to say, though, maybe they'll come back and say this isn't true. They were as shocked as anybody at how good he was uh, right away. And so while my tweet was clearly wrong, as an NBA reporter, I really was also passing along even the view at the time of the team that drafted him that he was one to two years away from playing minutes on an NBA team. Yeah, and give Milwaukee credit because I think a lot of teams saw him as a stash, saw him as a guy that they would draft and keep overseas for a year or two and then bring over, let him play in a high-level European league first before he comes to the NBA from the, you know, from playing against dudes like you and me in the Greek second or third division. And so I agree the take was wrong, but I challenged to find anybody that was in the league at the time that was saying no, Giannis is going to come in and play right away. And by year two, you know that you're going to have a superstar in the league. If those people were out there, I didn't meet them or talk to them ahead of time. He, he surprised everybody. And, and you know, part of it that I think the Bucks learned and some of the really cool anecdotes about Antetokounmpo was just what a great human being he was and how much they loved him, but also how much of a, like a kid he was, you know, David Morway was the assistant general manager to the Bucks at the time. And Giannis used to come to, to his house to play video games with his teenage sons. That's, mm-hmm. that's what he kind of right. wanted to do in his off time. And how intelligent he was, how quickly he was going to adapt, because there was major, there's a major leap from, you know, second league in, in, in Greece to coming to the United States and playing on an NBA team which some international players really struggle with, everything went right for Giannis on that, on that end. And much of it is the credit Giannis. And much of it's the credit the, the Bucks and the way that they handled him and, and developed him. I think the talent was so clearly there that he would have been okay wherever. But he did end up interestingly landing in a good spot uh, for him. Absolutely. And it's, it's worked out unbelievably well, obviously. He is the most unique unique player that I've seen or scouted in all my years with the NBA. I mean, truly, it's hard to imagine that there will ever be another player like him. Or another story like him. Yeah. The interesting thing for the Cavs is, you know, what could have been, because they selected Anthony Bennett, number one, who I imagine is not going to be in our top 14, even though (laughs) our top 14 gets really weak really fast. It's the second pick in the draft. It's the Orlando Magic, Rudy Gobert. Yeah, uh, out of France. That's the one you have to do. Clearly an elite, elite defender, if not the best defender in the NBA. Much better offensively than thought he would be. He's a beast. And this is a really interesting... He slid to 27th on draft night. So our top two picks went 15th and then 27th. There was a time when Rudy was ranked as a top five prospect coming into this draft. Yes. That was the, the initial take at the start of the draft scouting season about who he could be and the talent level, a disappointing season in France where he didn't develop quite the way that people thought. Then he comes to the NBA combine and struggles in the combine. Then he starts to struggle in workouts and his draft stock just just plummets in, in really like the last few months before the draft where he slides all the way to 27 But interestingly, he has an incredible workout for the Utah Jazz. They're blown away with his competitiveness, his toughness, all the things that people were questioning uh, about Rudy. 
and they roll the dice at 27 and end up with a franchise center. Yeah, one of the great draft day trades in history. $2 million cash to move up from 46 to 27 and select Rudy Gobert. And that was the Denver Nuggets who sold that <laughs> who sold that pick, who have been kicking themselves ever since. And and just a player, too, that has continued to develop as, as a basketball player. Yeah. Um, so my story from this draft, we, we only had a second-round pick, so we couldn't get him in to work out for us. But we did interview him at the, at the draft, and we really liked him. Um, thought he, thought he um, you know, some guys who are that tall, they play because they're tall. And we never got that impression with, with Rudy. We always thought he loved the game and thought that was, you know, thought that was important, like, for his prospects. Um, that, that he fell in that category. Um, and then um, I lost my train on my other story here. I had another, I had another Gobert story here and I lost it. We're, we're doing a lot of filler at the start of this one because we don't have a lot to say about many of the other players. <laughs> draft, the back so. end of the draft. <laughs> <laughs> we're, dra- we're dragging this one out. You're, 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 you're absolutely right. Uh, what, I mean, Oh, I, I know. So you see him at the combine. He did struggle. And the thing was, his running motion was really awkward. Like he would kick his knees really high oh, when he yeah. ran. People were killing and him. Some Somehow Utah fixed that. And when they did that, he became much more fluid end-to-end as a mover. And I think that just opened up everything else about his game. The scouts and GMs that were just outright mocking Rudy and whether he actually knew how to run and making – making uh, comments like a baby horse when it comes out of the womb and how it's, uh, you know, how it's loses yeah, its no, balance. That's a perfect the- metaphor. That was exactly what I thought. Yeah. I'm not sure that there was anybody that did more to like destroy their draft stock than Rudy did at the, at the, at the, at the combine. And really it wasn't his fault. It just, and there was a lot of factors too. He just gotten off the plane from France. He really truly wasn't prepared for what he was stepping into with a comment. I mean, there's so many factors that went into this. And again, this is a, a cautionary tale about your scouting during the season and then letting sort of all the stuff that happens post season infect your scouting view of a player. And it's so hard because that's the last thing you saw. And so it shouldn't, even if you tell yourself it shouldn't have the same weight as the games during the season, it's so hard when that's the last thing. And, and that's really the danger of these things like the workout and the combine and even the interview. Even though you gather more information, you have to weight that information properly. And there's too many times where it becomes too much of a weight on that and it, and it distorts your board too much. Okay, it's the third pick in the draft. John, you're drafting Washington Wizards on the board. Yeah, I mean... Otto Porter was a defensible pick here, but I actually, uh, now that now that the first two picks have gone the way they've gone, there were three all-stars from this draft. Two of them are gone. The third one is Victor Oladipo, so he would be my pick. And why Oladipo over another player that I think you could have selected here, which is C.J. McCollum? Yeah, I just think the, the high end on Oladipo is so much higher, um, you know, for him, for him to make multiple all-star teams, be the best player on a good team, uh, be really more of a two-way player than, than McCollum has been. Uh, I, I just think there's, there's a higher ceiling. And that, I mean, the draft is really about ceiling at the end of the day. And we'll see, obviously, with this injury, if Oladipo can get back to that player. Uh, but 
I, I, I just think especially like his 18, 19 seasons, like we're better than anything McCollum's ever going to give you. He's on his third NBA team. What happened in Orlando and then in Oklahoma City? I mean, I can understand trading him for Paul George, and I, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. What, what happened in Orlando? It was really interesting, that Ibaka trade, right? They traded Oladipo and the 12th pick to get Which Ibaka. was Sabonis. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I think that was driven by short-term pressures there to, to get into the postseason, and, and they thought... They thought Ibaka could shore up a particular weakness they had and, and get them there. And obviously that didn't end up working out that way. I think some of it too was a, you know, throwing Oladipo like the Magic did into the point guard position. The learning curve, the growing pains that were there, uh, maybe a little lack of patience. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think so. And, and some frustration when you project, um, when you project on a pick that high that he's going to be your savior, savior, you know, after the Dwight mayor and everything they went through. And then when he's just good, but not a savior, <laughs> I think, you know, that he becomes a magnet for criticism, even though it's unfair. Right. And you're out there, you're out there searching for that savior. So he becomes a chip and trying to find it as opposed mm-hmm. to continuing to develop him. Okay. It's the fourth Absolutely. pick in the draft. That's the Hornets. They took Cody Zeller. I think that was a mistake. There was lots of mistakes in this draft. Uh, CJ McCollum to me is in my mind, the the fourth pick in this draft, if not the third pick. And, uh, you know, a guy out of Lehigh put up some huge talk about a a tournament darling an NCAA tournament Mm -hmm. darling. We're really having an incredible game against Duke really, really helped his draft stock and prove that he could put up those incredible scoring numbers uh, against a, a high level team. Also one of the more entertaining players, uh, to interview and talk to through the draft. He, he really wanted to study journalism and get into the media business and was one of those guys that nailed every interview that he could possibly go into. It was hard to not fall in love with CJ McCollum. Yeah, definitely the best podcaster available in this draft. <laughs> but more than that, right? I mean, he's a, he's a yeah. terrific basketball player and scorer. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, uh, you know, he can, he can get his own shot. He can shoot off the catch. Um, defensively, he's been able to basically hold his own at the two, even though he's a little undersized. Um, actually has a little bit of uh, – for, for a small guy, he blocks a lot of shots, oddly enough. Um, not like a freak athlete, but just so under control and polished and, you know, has all the mid-range and the different shots. Uh, really makes him a very effective scorer really came of age in that 2015 first round against us. I don't know if you remember, Aaron Aflalo was injured and they kind of had to press McCollum into service. He hadn't played a ton that year. Uh, I'd been mostly a bench guy for him. And we're, we, we won that series in five games, but it was like, who is this guy? He's killing us. Like He averaged 18 points a game against us that series. And we obviously had an elite, elite defense. And he gave us a lot of problems and really has gave the Grizzlies problems every year since then. All right, C.J. McCollum, four. Uh, John, you're on the clock. Phoenix Suns, fifth pick in the draft. They selected yeah. Alex Lynn. I'm assuming that's yeah. not going to be your choice. That will not be my choice. I will take a center, but not this center. Instead, uh, I think there's a much better center available for them who's become a very popular teammate and a very solid, rugged, two-way center uh, Steven Adams out of Pittsburgh, uh, who had a lot of questions about him after his year at Pitt, if you remember, Chad. 
he was a prospect that as a prep, there was a lot of a lot of excitement about, obviously a New Zealand native, but had played over in the United States. And then he went to Pitt for a year and he wasn't the dominant player that I think people thought he was going to be at Pitt, which is why he slipped a little bit in the draft. But absolutely, as the fifth or sixth pick in the draft, this should have been the choice. Yeah, and I mean, his career since, I mean, he's been crazy durable. He's physical, tough, rebounds, can score around the basket, but just has has enough like touch and feel to do some other stuff too and can play out on the elbows a little bit. Like He's just a good center. Okay, we'll be back with pick six through 10 on the next segment with John Holliger. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. And we're back. Redrafting the 2013 NBA Draft. I'm with John Hollinger. We've just selected the top five picks in the draft. I'm on the board. It's the sixth pick. It's the 76ers. It's the start of the process. I was just going to say that. This was a momentous trade, actually, because it was the first trade of the process. They traded Drew Holiday for two firsts, including this one, the sixth pick, where they took Nerlens Noel. And there was probably some high fives in Philadelphia when Nerlens Noel slides to six. He was maybe not the consensus, but the likely number one pick in the draft before he gets injured at Kentucky was considered an elite prospect at the time. Obviously, medical uh, concerns, and there was a ton of them at the time, and and confusing reports from doctors about how well he was healing from his ACL surgery, and he'd lost a lot of weight. I mean, there were so many little things that were going on. There was concerns about him. But at six, this seemed like a perfectly defensible pick and actually a, a sort of stroke of luck for a team that was going to go into tanking mode anyway, that didn't necessarily need Noel to play right away. There was a lot of hope there. And mm-hmm. it, it just didn't really pan out for a lot of reasons. And and some of that, you know, just being work ethic and, you know, his ability to work with coaches and, uh, and other teammates, uh, he didn't really work out. I'm going to take a guy that I really loved in the draft. He went number three to the Wizards, Otto Porter. I loved him out of Georgetown, uh, not just because I'm a Georgetown alum. I, I loved all the different things that he did on the court that made him such a versatile player. He wasn't a sexy prospect by any stretch of the imagination. But he was a guy that on draft night, I was seriously thinking might should be the number one pick in the draft uh, just because I thought in a, in a draft where there were so many question marks, it seemed to me that you're not drafting number one in this particular draft to, to hit a home run because I, I don't know that a home run existed at the time. We didn't know that Giannis was going to be a home run. And it seemed like Otto Porter was going to have a very, very solid career and at least somebody that you can build around and have a lot of versatility. He was really solid in Washington. Yeah. He's he's been yeah. really solid for the Bulls. You know, one thing that that he did that that I didn't expect is he turned into a 40% three-point shooter. Absolutely. He had that good year his sophomore year from 3, but I think a lot of people questioned whether that was fool's gold and whether over a larger sample of shots he'd be able to keep that up and he has. And he's been a really good player at a difficult position to fill, small forward. And the only thing that prevented me from having him higher on my board was that I just don't know with the injuries and stuff what the rest of his career is going to look like from here. 
Like I think these next five years of CJ McCollum and Steven Adams are going to turn out a lot better than the next five from Otto Porter. Cause I think there's just too many health questions right now. And it's really, Other, a otherwise sh- I think he had a strong case to be fourth Sacramento Kings. They take a yeah. Kansas guy. I actually cheered them on. They took yeah, Ben McLemore, even though yeah. even as a Kansas homer, mm-hmm. I knew this was going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah. A <laughs> lot of stories yeah. out of Kansas about Ben McLemore and, okay. uh, <laughs> and what kind of player he was to coach. So who do you got yeah. going seven? I'm assuming it's not Ben McLemore. It's not Ben Mac. You know, we gave Ben McElroy $10 million once. You did? Yeah. I'm sure you signed that, that check. That, that didn't go great. Um, so we're, we're going to do something else. Uh, we're going to go with a shooting guard. Been a little bit of a late, late bloomer. Was really good this year in Dallas, though. Had some other pretty good seasons in Atlanta and New York. Uh, and I, I think he's got a few more ahead of him still. Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, by the way, that crashing sound you heard was this draft going off the rails. It's really, it's really off the rails. After six, all of it, all of it is, what are we arguing over right now, really? <laughs> Tim Hardaway Jr. went 24th in the draft, clearly outplayed his position in the draft. Yeah. I think uh, I think he surprised, or at least he surprised me with just how potent an offensive player he could be at the NBA level. I mean, he was a good player at Michigan, but he wasn't he wasn't necessarily like a superstar in the Big Ten, and he what he it wasn't like he was a one and done either. Why does he slide? I just think the perception of him was that he was he was an okay shooter who came out as a junior and was like okay athlete but not a freak like there there was just nothing to really glom onto is like a sexy thing of like that's why he's our guy there's just so many blah players that were drafted ahead of him that's that that's the question i mean a normal draft him being at 24 makes a lot of sense he was right. a little bit of a head scratcher in this draft but, but when sergey karasev goes 19 and you know tony snell goes 20 then yeah it becomes a little more of a head scratcher yeah, and shane larkin i mean we can go on bebe yeah uh, we could go on and on okay it's the Pistons, eighth pick in the draft. I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> there isn't there isn't a lot to choose here. I'm going to go with Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, I think that's a good pick. I mean, KCP was a defensible pick here by the Pistons. One of one of the few that <laughs> really right. was. Yeah, um, it wasn't 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 a bad pick at, at eight. But Schroeder, at, at least as a six man who can provide a lot of scoring off the bench, has carved a a really nice career for himself. Uh, at the NBA level. I, I, I don't think he's the starting point guard on a good basketball team, but I definitely think that he can provide a lot of bang for the buck off the bench. Yeah. A couple pretty high level seasons for good Hawks teams. Uh, and then really good in Oak city this year. might even end up winning the sixth man award. He was, and he was a guy who really blew up at the hoop summit off of really just one week of practices in one game. Right. And so it goes both ways, right? And he moves up to 17th in the draft. Yeah. And, and now he might be the sixth, sixth man of the year. And that same hoop summit, Livio Jean Charles did the same thing and was, then was never heard from again. Exactly. Okay. The Jazz trade up with the Wolves. 
they get the ninth pick in the draft. They're also looking for a point guard for the future. Mm -hmm. They select Trey Burke. Yeah, not the point guard of the future. Um, I'm not going to take a point guard here. I'm going to take a just a nice, solid 3 and D role player. I think his shooting has been a little disappointing as a pro, 35% career. Uh, but good, dogged defender, uh, been really durable. Uh, just a good, solid player. Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Has he been disappointing from what I, I thought? he might be able to be after watching him at Georgia. Yeah. And I think part of it was uh, the hope that he would turn out to be a better shooter than he's been. He's been solid shooting 35% from three in his career, but you know, it's, it's hard to get excited about Contavious Caldwell Pope, but, but he's actually had a pretty solid NBA career. Exactly. And I mean, at his age, he probably has several years left at this, at this level still. And I, I just think I, you know, there are some bigs in this draft who actually had pretty good careers too, and we'll get to them in a minute. But I think the wing player is more valuable than the big in general, so that's my bias here. So that's why I go with KCP. I'm not really sure who to select next. It's 10th, it's the Blazers. Again, things start to drop off a little bit for me, but I'm going to go with the Mason Plumley. I think that's a great pick. He went 22 mm-hmm. to the Brooklyn Nets. He's been a solid basketball player. Really solid, yeah. He was an eye test guy in that draft because his stats weren't that great, and he was a he was a four year player at Duke. Um, but I think people who watched him in person and really saw what he could do athletically around the basket figured that what he did would translate, and they were proven correct. Three brothers, two of them, turn out to be serviceable NBA players. Okay, that's picks one through ten. We'll be back with picks 11 through 14 on the next segment with John Hollinger. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. And we're back with picks 11 through 14 of the 2013 NBA Draft. I'm with John Hollinger. 76ers have another pick. And this is interesting because they drafted Michael Carter-Williams, who turns out to be the rookie of the year. Mm -hmm. Just to show you a little bit of how wild this draft was, the 11th pick in the draft turned out to be the rookie of the year, Michael Carter-Williams. And then it kind of all went downhill from there for him. I'm not sure, have we ever had a rookie of the year that flatlined so quickly? I can't think of one. Um, I'm scr- I'm scratching my head here. Yeah, it's really uh, Tyreek Evans that didn't really flatline the same way that Michael Carter Williams did. Yeah, I mean, in his, I mean, we've had guys with injuries, but his wasn't really injury related. It was performance, right? And so, you know, it's it's hard to criticize the Sixers and say, look, you drafted the Rookie of the Year at 11th, but uh, I and I to don't- their credit, they parlayed him into a future first when they realized that things might not be going the way they hoped. When Jason Kidd fell in love with Michael Carter-Williams, who happened to be represented by Excel Management. What a coincidence, wow. And really felt that he was going to turn his career around. This is, this is why sometimes you don't want to give your coach too big of a voice in, in personnel decisions, because then he quickly fell out of love with Michael Carter-Williams and then pointed the finger back at the front office and said, why in the hell did you trade for this guy? Uh, yeah. And the answer is 
because you wanted it. I'm going to go at this point for the 76ers with Netherlands Noel. Wow. Okay. I don't know if I hold out hope still or that when he plays in limited minutes from an advanced statistics standpoint, he, he shows pretty well. But as I just look at the players that are left and that are available to me and maybe still some potential there uh, for Noel to continue to, to adapt or grow as a player, I just don't really see a lot of players that, that sit beneath him that I can really get excited about. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I think there's, there are a couple other centers who have had better careers to this point, but I think it's fair to say that you could bet on Noel's next five years being better than some of these other guys' next five years because a couple of these guys are getting near the end of the line already. Um, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about them in a minute. But uh, I, whereas Noel, I think like this year in Oklahoma City, was definitely like a high-level backup. And, and I think he has at least that going forward for the next few years where he can be a high-level backup on a good team. Exactly. So we'll see. Exactly. Okay, the Oklahoma City Thunder at 12. They're not going to get Steven Adams because not getting Steven Adams. He went much much higher. Can I interest you in Cody Zeller then? Okay. <laughs> sell Cody me Zeller's sell me some Cody player. Zeller. Like he's he's had a nice 7-year career. He's he's really physical, really screens um, has become a little bit of a three-point shooter, not just an around-the-basket guy. Like, he's good. He's had a lot of trouble with injuries and staying on the court, which I don't think could have been anticipated necessarily. But he's been a good good player, like at worst a third big on a good team. And, uh, you know, at this point, I think that's better than what you're going to get from anyone else here. Little Cody Zeller story. I go to watch him work out in L.A. And like a lot of these bigs, especially – their agents say the problem is their college coach played him the wrong way. Cody's a Cody can face the basket. Cody can shoot. Cody was a three-point shooter, but Tom Crean just wouldn't let him do any of that. Let's put him through a very simulated workout where he runs around and and hits a lot of jump shots. And you know, I'm the reporter writing about all this and you know talking about the you know this is his upside if he can face the basket and shoot the basketball. And and I get a call from Tom Crean. College coaches, I don't, if there, there's many things that rub college coaches the wrong way, but they hate this when, they, when the agents go and say, look, the college coach played them the wrong way, played in the wrong position, hurt their NBA draft stock, blah, 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 yeah. blah, especially when Cody Zeller was going to end up being the number four pick in the draft. But he also told me, look, Cody Zeller is not going to be an elite NBA shooter, NBA three-point shooter. I, I was playing him the right way. To Tom Crean's credit, Cody Zeller is a 24%, 25% three-point shooter uh, in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he started launching them last year and this year. And, it, you know. and uh, last year shot 27% and this yeah, year yeah. shot 24%. An agent's job is to sell his player. And often it's selling the player by saying, you didn't get to see what this player could do if he had been in, a, in the right system or with the right coach or whatever. That's, that, that's part of the narrative every year. And, and uh, you know, poor Tom Crean, I think, kind of came away from this vindicated. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay. The Celtics are on the, And by the way, all these teams passed on Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> <laughs> Wah, wah. 
right? You know, so like, okay, you took Nerlens Noel over Anta Takumbo. You took Alex Len, Cody Zeller, Otto Porter, Victor Oladipo. Get all of that. And Ma- Ben McLemore of the University of Kansas. Yeah, I mean, you you know, you get some of that, just the high profile level of them. The Mavs scouts and front office really wanted to select Giannis Antetokounmpo here. Mark Cuban has backed this up, that they, that they wanted to. Cuban looks at this guy, this player that's going to be a stash player and instead trades the pick, trades down to 18 and gets Shane Larkin instead at 18. And, and the, you know, every team you hear stories about, oh, you know, as the front office, we really wanted to do this and our owner. Hey, this is a, actually a case where I, I think that that was probably true and that, that Giannis uh, would have gone 13. Uh, interestingly, they trade the pick. Boston moves up. And mm-hmm. Danny Ainge really loves Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think they were one of the higher teams on him as far as a, a team that really liked him. And instead, instead they select Kelly Olenek. That's, I'm just letting Ooh, it I, sink. I'm just letting it sink in for a minute. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and this is where I think to your point, John. At what point? What's the risk reward? Right. You know, where is the where is the risk reward line for Giannis Antetokounmpo? And if I feel like if there was a place in the draft that you could clearly draw that line, it was right here. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of where the perception was of the players at the time. Right. Yeah, Stephen Adams is off the board. Michael Carter-Williams is off the, you know, other players that had really a lot of buzz, they're off the board right now. There was a lot of skepticism about what kind of player Kelly Olenek was going to be uh, at the next level of the NBA. Yeah. Who does Boston take? Because Giannis is off the board now. Kelly Olenek, solid. (laughs) He turned out to be solid. He turned out to be kind of exactly what you thought he'd be. Yeah. Stretches yeah. the floor, shoots 38% from three, has had a nice career. So they they got the right guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sort of, <laughs> in a way. Uh, in this draft, maybe they got the right yeah. guy. I don't know if you yeah. had Kelly Olenek next, but. I, I had him in the, in, the, in the heap of players who could have plausibly been next, yes. Okay. Uh, I, I thought, uh, you know, they're, so it's to me for the last pick of the, uh, yeah, it's wolves. you got the wolves. All right. All right. Well, um, so there's one other big that you could argue for here who the wolves ended up getting later. Who's Gorgie Dang, Yep. who, if you ignore the ridiculous extension he signed has actually had a good career. Um, there was an undrafted player in this, in this draft who was kind of interesting, Seth Curry. Um, but my pick here is actually Michael Carter Williams. And I'll say that for two reasons. One, uh, he actually did play at a pretty high level early in his career, um, was the rookie of the year, was able to net a first-round pick in a, in a trade later, which I think very few of these guys could ever say. Um, the other thing is that he's had a little bit of a renaissance here. Like, I don't know if anyone's noticed, but, like, he was pretty good in Orlando this year. He didn't play a ton, but he had himself a nice year. It's a completely different position and player he's playing off the ball more um i think there's still some hope for him to have like a little renaissance here there is and you know he's just a really interesting player to look like his rookie season averages 16 points a game then to 14 then to 14 again then to 11 then to 6 then to 4 then to 4 then to 5 and now up to 7 points a game 
I think that renaissance is there. And, it, you know, the challenge with him was that he never really learned how to shoot the basketball. Yeah, the, sh- the shooting. And then I think there were some real, like, confidence issues that went with that. Um, that when, when, it started to, when it started to snowball, it was tough for him to pull out of that. All right, let's talk for a minute about players that we didn't select. Starting with the number one pick in the draft, Anthony Bennett. Not an injury issue. What happened with Anthony Bennett? I think two things happened. One, he, I mean, I'm oversimplifying here. A, he wasn't that good. B, he never got any better. Right? He, he had some athletic pop to him. Like, he could do some crazy dunks, in, even in games. Uh, but just was never really a good shooter or good at putting it on the floor. So, like, what, what was there in terms of a skill level for him to – generate plays for himself um was never a guy who was in great shape which uh you know even the people who saw him at san diego state or saw him practice would say you know he'd kind of get winded easily he'd get heavy now sometimes that actually is something that teams have put too much emphasis on and it's hurt them and we've talked about that with some other players but in this case it was kind of dead on (laughs) so uh I i think that was a factor too how did he rise to the top though for the Cavs. In fairness to the Cavs, there was not a clear no-brainer number one pick uh, in the draft. And 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 most teams had Anthony Bennett in their top 6, 7, 8 prospects. So it wasn't like they yes. selected a a, a, t- a guy that everybody else had ranked in the second round or at the end of the first round. I mean, people had him ranked in that space. Was this a case where you feel the pressure at number one to hit a home run? And so even though they had players like Oladipo and Otto Porter and, and Cody Zeller and players like that that were on the board, that you feel this need that maybe because of some of the unique attributes that he had, that he could be a Larry Johnson type player uh, in the NBA, and so you're you're trying to to hit that home run, and then you just end up whiffing completely. Yeah, and I think you know we always talk about upside in the draft, but the the flip side of the coin is that you have to be, you know, it's easy for us to say in retrospect, oh, you should have taken the upside of Giannis, but if he falls on his face, then you know you have to you have to live with that too. So you you have to live with that downside sometimes. Looking back this was a really weak one and done class and i and i think that that that's one of the things that stands out to me that only three freshmen were taken in the first 11 picks which is almost unthinkable now in in 2020 that that would happen in an, in an nba draft yeah that, that that is actually really fascinating and i do think that when you looked at the players that the consensus in the NBA had around who might be in the mix for the number one pick, Noel was really the only other prospect that you could see a high ceiling with, but the Cavs were very worried about his medicals and, and injuries. And, and one of the reasons that they finally moved on, on from him. And so I do think this is the pressure sometimes of drafting the number one pick is that it has to be flashy and no one could get their their arms around just getting a player that's going to be like good and maybe just an all-star or you know really strong starter on a team and and so you start to project and you reach 
We talked a little yeah. bit about Co- Cody Zeller. Alex Len really made a name for himself by outplaying outplaying Nerlens Noel right at the beginning of the season in a Maryland Kentucky game, and that's where people really started getting excited about Alex Len. Uh, he's bounced around the league. He still plays in the league. What what's up with Alex Len? You know, I I never really saw it with him, and I guess you know he had size and some shooting ability, but even around the basket in college, like he didn't dominate around the basket. Like you could see like guys could get their shot off at the rim around him. And you'd be like, why, how did he not block that? Um, and he actually, like on some level, he stayed in the league longer than I thought because I, I wasn't a fan and, but he's actually carved out a decent career and been, and been a little more productive than I expected. Hey, he's consistently 20 minute a night guy uh, yeah, in the league. Yeah. Which is like something in this draft. So you paid ten million dollars to Ben McLemore. Mm-hmm. Uh, what went wrong with with McLemore? Yeah, um, he's a guy who, in a workout setting, as I'm sure you know, Chad, can look like prime Ray Allen. Uh, you know, just the he's athletic, has a really beautiful looking stroke, um, and there were some things in his background that, that actually were kind of positive. Like, you know, he works on his game. He's not a bad guy. Um, but just the feel, once it got to five on five, just the feel for the game just evaporated. I think one of the things that's worked for him in Houston this year is that it's so simplified for him where it's basically, he's going to be in the corner and wait for a pass from James Harden that, that, that that's a way that he can play and have some effectiveness. He's had some up and downs his second year in Sacramento. He averaged 32 minutes a game. And 12 points a game. But you look at this Rocket season, and I think this is exactly right. He plays 22 minutes a game. He takes six threes a game. He only averages seven shots a game. So six of the, out of the seven shots he takes are threes. And he's shooting 39.5% from three. And that can be a role for him in the NBA. Yeah, exactly. And that was just something. We didn't have the offensive players on our team to allow him to do that. And so... He ended up just having to do a lot more dribbling and a lot more decision making that was than was optimal, certainly. Are we being unfair to Trey Burke? Trey Burke goes ten. Trey Burke has one, two, three, four, five, six seasons where he averages double figures in points uh in the NBA. Uh what's up? I mean, was was he ever good in any of those years though? Were you ever like, oh man, Trey Burke killed us tonight? Like, no, I, I don't know. And, I, and, and, and very streaky, right? Like have a big game and then not over and over again. He played for the Sixers this year. You know, the one thing that you can say maybe positive about his game is he's shooting 42% from three this year. Yeah, which is a thing that held him back a little in the past. That he was just okay beyond the line. And then obviously with his size, um, needed, to, needed to be more of a, more of a real high-level passer and distributor than, than he was. We really played more as a scorer and a guy who was going to shoot from the mid-range off that pick and roll. And I think that just added up to less at the NBA level than people thought when he had that big sophomore year at Michigan. Okay. Well, that is the 2013 NBA draft. Aloha. Aloha.